As we set out to establish a exercise regimen and a, a diet protocol for us to follow in the new year, we're bombarded with various recommendations as to what is best. What's the diet to follow? What's the exercise regimen to follow? That bombardment tends to cause issues with us in terms of confusion. How can I go about establishing the best exercise program, the best means by which to do each exercise session so as to maximize the benefits that I can get, to get the best results that I want, to lose the weight that I want to lose, to gain the muscle I want to gain, to get stronger, to get fitter. We've already talked about diet and best diet and how to establish a diet that is worth following without going into the very dogmatic practices that a lot of people are pitching. And we've talked a little bit about periodization, how to go about establishing a periodized program so that you don't fall into an overtraining issue. But how can we go about establishing the within exercise session? But how can we go about establishing the pattern by which we're going to exercise each time we're at the gym? And so let's spend some time talking about how to establish our exercise program, our exercise regimen for each session that we're going to do so that we can maximize the benefits that we're able to maximize. So we're able to get stronger, able to get fitter, able to get the body compositional changes that we want to from our exercise. So let's talk about that. Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard or believed to be true about how the human body works and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy. So when we set up our exercise regimen, there's two things we have to remember as we go as we go through here. What we want to do is we want to not only cause a lot of mechanical load on the muscle. We also want to instill long-term hormonal responses that will allow us to uh, stimulate muscle growth. And so there's two things that are going to cause muscles to grow as we do our, our exercise. One is the mechanical overload that takes place during the exercise. But the other thing is the hormonal responses that we're going to see after exercise is done. The long-term uh, changes that we see within the body is a combination of those two factors. And so how can we go about establishing the within-day exercise so that we can maximize both the hormonal responses and the mechanical overload? What we have to be careful with on the mechanical overload is not to be continuously, progressively overloading the muscle to the point where the muscle does not have a chance to recover. And this is where when we first start out, we don't want to do exercises in such a way that we're going to, what some people refer to as pyramid, our, our loads, where we're going to be constantly changing the loads within each uh, set. So that set one is at, say, 10 pounds, and set two is at 15 pounds, and set three is at 20 pounds, and set four is at 30 pounds, and set five is at 50 pounds. The reason we don't want to do that when we first start out is because we're trying to learn how to do the exercise. And when we are first starting to learn how to do exercises, what we want to do is we want to work at set values that we can control the weight. And by learning how to control the weight, Throughout the whole entire range of motion, we're able to teach the muscle 
how to go about doing its functioning. Once we have become proficient in our exercise, once we have established a way by which we're able to uh, know how to do the various exercises, then we can go and increase the difficulty that we have within each exercise based off of changing the resistance that we're going to work at within the set to set of that exercise. And so when we have this in mind, what we have to do is we have to sit back and we have to say, okay, how am I going to establish a pattern that I'm going to stress the muscles, but not stress the muscles in such a way as to overstress the muscles, causing me to get into a situation of overtraining? And this is where we have factors within the periodization mechanisms to minimize the overtraining issues by varying our intensities, by varying our training volumes, by varying our training loads throughout the the year to maximize the benefits throughout the year. But we're not talking about that. What we're talking about here is we're talking about, okay, how can I establish the within exercise session in such a way to maximize the benefits in terms of both that mechanical overload factor, as well as the long-term hormonal changes that I want to get so as to establish that improved strength, that improved fitness, that improved body composition that I'm searching for through changes of my diet and changes of my exercise. And this starts out with, okay, how do I do a combination of exercise? And this is where we have kind of a debate amongst a lot of the exercise uh, physiologists as to which do I want to do first? Do I want to do endurance training? what people sometimes refer to as cardio, but quotes around that, or do I want to start with resistance training? And this is where we have to look at, okay, what is the goal for my training session? If the goal for my training session is to maximize my anabolic responses, my growth responses, what we call hypertrophy, then I want to actually separate out my endurance training from my resistance training throughout the day. And that's where I would do something like my endurance training in the morning, take a break, do whatever I have to do for my normal daily activities, and then go about and do my resistance training at some later point in time. That's great for people who have a work schedule that allows them or a life schedule that allows them to have separation of workouts. But a lot of us don't have that where we don't have the ability to spend multiple hours doing exercise. Most of us are have lifestyles, have work life balance issues that might give us an hour or an hour and a half at most to do our exercise. And that's where we cannot do this separation where we have this durational difference, this time difference in between when I do my endurance training, when when I do my resistance training. So if I have that where I cannot separate the two, what's the best way to do my combination of endurance and resistance training? In, In this case here, what we want to do is we want to go and establish Resistance training after the endurance training. That's what the what a majority of the research is showing as it relates to establishing changes in body composition, establishing changes in strength. You won't be able to maximize the growth in the muscles that this way, where you're doing it at the same time, but you can improve both strength and body composition by doing your endurance training and then doing your resistance training. Now, with that, I want to make sure that I have a rest period in between the endurance training and the resistance training. 
And that rest period in between can be uh, somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes of time. And that 10 to 20 minutes of time, I can do other things within the the gym so that I'm maximizing my time within the gym. I can go ahead and do some, some core training, what people refer to as quote unquote abs, working on doing ab work or doing core work. I can work on my flexibility during that time. But at the same time, what I want to make sure I'm doing is I am undergoing rehydration as well as providing myself with some sort of carbohydrate or carbohydrate-like substance and a little bit of possibly amino acids because during the endurance training part of the workout, I'm going to be having a hormonal change that's going to cause a lot of breakdown of those molecules within my body. And I want to make sure that I'm starting to replenish the stuff that's been broken down and provide the body the nutrients that it's going to need in order to do metabolism during the resistance exercise. By doing this, what I'm going to be able to do is I'm going to be able to minimize the amount of cortisol response that I'm going to be getting during and following the exercise. We are going to get cortisol responses from exercise, and we want to minimize the amount of cortisol response that we're getting during and following exercise because if I have high amounts of cortisol, I'm going to be minimizing the responses that I get from my anabolic hormones, from my growth hormones, growth hormone, insulin, uh, androgens, which includes testosterone or adrenal androgens, uh, some thyroid hormone. And when I'm able to minimize that cortisol by providing my body with the nutrients that I need during the exercise, as well as following the exercise, I'm able to minimize that cortisol spike. And so I'm going to go from endurance training to resistance training. And then I'm now in my resistance training. I'm now in my weightlifting. And so terms here, and I'm sorry for jumping around within this. When we're talking about terms, so most people talk about endurance training as being, quote, cardio, end quote. It's a misnomer because anytime I do any type of movement, I'm going to cause changes in the way in which blood is moving around the body. And by changing the way in which blood is moving around the body, I'm going to have a cardiorespiratory and cardiopulmonary response which is what we're talking about when we talk about quote-unquote cardio. But endurance training is simply just doing exercise in a sustained fashion, in a fashion or in a manner that's going to cause improvements in mitochondrial functions, reduction in onset of fatigue, improvement in oxygen carrying capacity, improvement in oxygen storage capacity within the tissues that can store oxygen, that allow me to do any type of activity for longer periods of time at a sustained effort. When we talk about this endurance training, there's a whole host of different means by which we can endurance train. We can use weights to do endurance training. That's where doing um, high-intensity interval training or uh, circuit resistance training cycle comes into play. We can do intervals on any of the erg machines, treadmills, rowers, star, uh, stair steppers, or even doing track workouts in interval fashions is an endurance training. And what the endurance training is going to do is it's going to change hormone signals and change metabolite signals within the body. That's going to uh, lead to improvements in mitochondrial functions, the functions of the mitochondria, which is going, which is uh, sometimes referred to as the quote-unquote powerhouse of the cells. This is the organelle within the cells, particularly within the cells and the muscles that we're focusing on here. 
that's going to provide the greatest return of my ATP, my energy molecule, so that I can keep doing what I need to do for longer periods of time. But it's also with the way in which we do endurance training, doing variable or mixed intensity training versus a steady state training. It's also going to cause changes in other metabolic pathways, both the anaerobic pathways, glycolysis, to be the principal anaerobic pathway, but also the aerobic pathway, the pathway that it uses the mitochondria, but it's also going to improve what we call scientifically our phosphagen pathway, which is relying upon my creatine phosphate and my creatine kinase enzyme, as well as other enzymes that are associated with the phosphagen pathway, which gives me an instantaneous ATP return. And so that's endurance training. Endurance training is going to improve all of those things without necessarily improving other factors within muscle function, in particular strength functions. Strength function is the ability for the muscle to resist a load that is attempting to tear the muscle. A lot of people talk about this in gym culture as muscle force, but scientifically we can't call it force because force is mass times acceleration. We got to remember our, our, our Newton's equations here. And so mass times acceleration is force. But what we're actually looking at when we look at the way in which muscles function is strength. That is the, uh, the resistance that the tissue has to tearing based off of tension being pulled apart or compression being squeezed together. And so when we do any type of exercise where we are causing an increase in tension on the muscle through doing repeated contractions or a single sustained contraction, sometimes referred to as an isometric contraction, that is what's going to be resistance training. Now, resistance training we can do in a whole bunch of various types of uh, machines or apparatuses. We can use machines. We can use pulleys. We can use our own body weight. We can use dumbbells. We can use uh, plate-loaded machines. We can use Smith machines. We can use we can use barbells. All of those apparatuses, all of those machines, which includes our body, are simply adding tension to the muscle that we're asking the muscle to work against. And so that's resistance training. Sometimes will be called weight training. When we talk about training versus activity, exercise is a form of training, but it's also a form of activity. All exercise is activity, but not all activity is exercise. And this is where when we start talking about how we go about periodizing our, our program over the long term, not within the session like we're talking about today, we talk about things like active rest. Active rest is where we are doing activities that are not exercise but provide the body a chance to recover from the stress and strain of doing the prolonged exercise training. And so with all of that kind of in the background here, let's talk about how we can go about organizing our exercise session so that we can maximize our responses so that we can get the results that we want to get in the most effective and efficient time frame to get those responses and get those results. But before we start talking about this, we have to remember is that long term, eight to 12 weeks for body compositional changes, two to four weeks upwards of about six weeks for performance changes that are measurable, significant changes. And by significant changes, we're talking about statistical significance, not necessarily, I see that I am stronger, or I see that I have uh, lost a little bit of weight, or I see that my clothes are looser than they were before, or tighter than they were before based off of what the goal for the exercise happens to be. All of that in mind, let's go ahead and let's talk about, okay, I walk into the gym, I go onto the gym floor, what's the first thing I'm going to do? This is where we have to focus on, okay, what's the actual goal for that training session? What do I hope to 
obtained from the training session, both from that day as well as in the long term. We're going to speak about this in generalities here as if the, we're novice in terms of going to the gym. And we're going to be following some sort of circuit style training, whether it's a whole body circuit or a regional circuit. I'm going to go and have, let's say I only have time for a single exercise session. And so I will go and do my endurance training. I'll do my 15 to 20, 25 minutes at a moderate to moderate high intensity because I'm going to be doing both resistance and endurance training in that single session. At the end of that, I'll go ahead and I'll take my my rest time and rehydrate and get uh, fuel sources back into my body. I'll do some of my core training. I'll do some flexibility training in order to give myself a recovery period in between the end of the endurance session and the beginning of the resistance session. So I've now ended that transition period and I've now started my resistance training. How am I going to be able to maximize the responses that I get from the resistance training session? This is where I'm going to look at the organization of exercises for that day. And what I want is I want to start with the largest, most complex exercise and work down to the simplest single joint exercise. And so when I talk about large, complex exercises, we're talking about multi-jointed, multi-muscle, large muscle group exercises. These are the kind of what people like to reference as being the power, put quotes around that, lifting or power lifts in terms of the exercises. These are things like squats and deadlifts and bench presses and pull-ups or lateral pull-downs. Things where I am moving in multiple planes, multiple geometric planes, the X, Y, and Z axes, where I have to control where my body is moving in all of those planes, where I have multiple joints of the body moving, where in some cases I have to stabilize the my core, my torso, so that I'm able to execute the movement correctly. And so I'm going to start with those exercises. And I'm going to start with the most difficult of those exercises and work my way to the easiest of those exercises. And this is where we have to look at, okay, how am I going to, put quotes around this, attack the muscles? And when we talk about attacking the muscles, we're talking about two key factors here. We're talking about the angle at which I'm asking the muscle to produce the force, the mass times acceleration, generate the strength to cause the force, and the amount of load, the amount of resistance that I am functioning against. And this is where we have to remember our science. And yes, I understand some of us don't like science. Others of us, like myself, love it. And this is where we have to fall back into our physics. And we have to look at, okay, what is having additive forces applied and what is having subtractive forces applied? And this is where when we talk about force, force equals mass times acceleration, it's mass times acceleration in all of the geometric axes. And this is where we have angles that we function at and sines and cosines and tangents and cotangents and secants and cosecants all at play. And what we're going to do is we're going to start with the hardest to execute based off of that summation of forces based off of the angle of attack on the muscle and then work to the easiest of the attack on the muscles based off of the summative and subtractive forces, the additive forces and the subtractive forces within the summation of all of the forces that I have to counteract through muscle contraction. 
And so let's take an example here. So let's say that uh, it's a uh, push day, a day like where I'm going to be doing uh, bench pressing. For that, what I want to do is I want to start off with the hardest of the bench presses to do in terms of the load that I can apply. And that would be on an incline angle. And that's simply because of the angulation, the force additive properties, as well as the amount of major muscle groups I can activate at the angles that I'm going to be pressing against in order to get the bones of the upper extremity of the quote unquote arm to move to lift the weight above my head or off my chest. And I'll go from the incline bench to a more flat bench and then eventually to a decline. And that change in angulation based off of the bench angle is going to change the summative load that I'm being exposed to during the bench pressing. Same thing happens when we look at, say, it's a, a leg, quote unquote, leg day, and we're going to do squats. The bar position on the squat is going to dictate not only what muscle groups are going to be maximally recruited within the, the lifting part of the exercise, both the eccentric phase, the lowering phase, as well as the concentric phase, the rising phase of the squat, but it's also going to, to dictate how, quote unquote, hard that lift happens to be based off of the relative position of the bar to where my body angle is going to change as I move. And this is where we have to take into account things like uh, femur length relative to tibia length. So how long is my thigh relative to how long is my shin? How flexible am I at my hip and within my, my low back? That allows me to get the proper angulation of my chest throughout the squat, but also things like, okay, am I going to be squatting on a, a squat machine or a Smith machine, or am I going to be doing dumbbells or barbells? All of those things are going to come into play as I start to look at how I'm going to organize that exercise within that session. And in this case here, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the bench pressing or the squatting or any type of exercise that we can move to doing it with barbells. The way in which I want to progress from easiest to hardest or hardest to easiest, if you want to think about this. So we'll go from easiest to hardest. I'm going to start with normal machines with the cams and the pulleys, and then I'm going to work to a plate loaded machine, and then I'm going to work to a Smith machine, and then I'm going to work to using dumbbells, and then I'm going to work to using barbells. And all of that is looking at how much stability am I going to have to produce in order to stabilize my body, how much load is being applied to the, the muscle, to the bones that I'm being asked to move. And so when we start looking at this, how do I set my exercises up? We're going to start with large movements and then work to smaller movements. We're going to work to multiple muscles down to single muscles or as single of a muscle as we can get. It's very hard to say, okay, we're just going to do this one muscle without uh, hooking up uh, an electrical stimulant, an electrical stimulator to that muscle and recruiting that muscle externally through shocking the muscle with an electrical signal. So when we start doing this, so once again, let's pop back and let's talk about chest or upper body pushing. And so if we're going to do, say, an upper body push day for, for our exercise in terms of our, our segmenting, We'll start with the hardest things to do and work to the easiest things to do. And so we'll start with things like incline bench pressing and military pressing, sometimes referred to as overhead pressing. And then we'll work towards a more flatter of a bench 
or a flatter of a bench press. And then we'll work to say like a decline bench press. And we'll work say from barbells to dumbbells. And then if we wanna keep working, we can go ahead and continue to work to say the machines. And then I'm going to go ahead and move out of those complex motions, the military overhead pressing, the bench pressing, to more of an isolated extension. And so the muscles that are gonna allow me to do extensions in the upper extremity, in the arms and in the, the torso, are the things that are on the backside of the joints. So things like triceps are going to come into play in terms of that extension. The forearm extensors, things that are gonna allow me to extend the fingers and the hand into an open hand posture and pull the, the, the fingers up towards my body. And so I'll go ahead and work to doing those types of like tricep extensions and then do like wrist extensions. But then I can also add into there things like back extensions. Once again, because we're dealing with an upper body push day. And when we're talking about pushes, we're usually talking about extensions. Now I can delay that extensions on the push day and put them into a pull day. But once again, that's getting into more of the semantics of organizations that how do I do the organization within the periodization, which we've talked about previously and is in the uh, reference substack in the notes for the podcast here. And so I have my general pattern, large, complex, very difficult to large, complex, easy, single joint, single plane, all the way through the exercise session. So that's the organization of the exercises I'm going to do. But what about the patterning? How many sets? How many reps? How much rest? This is where we have to look. Okay, what's the training goal going to be? And so if my training goal is to gain muscle size, to quote unquote hypertrophy, I want to make sure that I'm getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 50 total sets in a week completed. And this is where I have to look at, okay, how many days per week am I going to be doing activations of that muscle? The easy way of looking at this in terms of maximizing the efficiency of our time in a week is to do two to three sets, seven to eight, or excuse me, seven to 10 repetitions within each set. And so that's going to give me 21 to 30 repetitions on an exercise. It's going to give me about three sets of that exercise. If I do four exercises for that are going to recruit any of the extensions or the extensor muscles or muscles that are going to cause pushing to take place in the upper extremity, each set is going to count towards that total amount of sets that I need within a week in order to cause large amounts of muscle growth. But I also have to include into that, so we have that two to three sets, seven to eight, excuse me, seven to 10 repetitions. But I also have to include two other factors into that. What level of resistance, what level of intensity of recruitment am I going to have? How much load am I going to have on the muscle? And in this case here, we want to not work to failure. There's a lot of people out there who talk about working to failure. The problem is, is that if I work to failure, then I need to have extensive amounts of recovery time before I'm able to go about recruiting the muscle again. And so when we talk about failure here, it's not fatigue. Fatigue is different than failure. Fatigue is where I lose strength capacity, where I lose the ability to recruit the muscle in order to generate the contraction that I want to, to do in the form I want to do it in. That's fatigue. Failure is where I cannot complete the repetition. 
And so if I'm going to train to failure, that means that the muscle has has broken down enough, has been torn apart enough through what we, what we call micro trauma, that I'm going to have extensive amounts of recovery that have to take place. And because I have extensive amounts of recovery taking place, that means that I cannot recruit that muscle in such a way so as to cause growth to take place with secondary exercise sessions prior to full recovery. And this is where if I'm going to do two failure training, I'm going to need 72 to 96 hours of recovery, three to four days of recovery before I'm able to recruit that muscle group again. And that becomes problematic because if I am recruiting muscles to do stuff throughout my normal days of activity, I'm inhibiting the total amount of recovery that I'm going to be allowing to take place. And so instead of training to failure, what we try to do is we try to provide a intensity that matches the repetitions that we're going to try to execute. And so if, once again, if we're starting out, we're going to do that two to three sets, seven to 10 repetitions, I'm going to do it at a seven repetition maximum. And so that is where I can complete the seventh repetition with correct form for that set before I take a rest. Once I'm able to complete a 10th repetition, because remember, we have that range that we're dealing with. Once I'm able to complete that 10th repetition, it's then an indication that I can go ahead and increase the weight that I am using for that exercise. If it happens to be within an exercise session that I'm able to complete a 10th repetition for the last set, that's the indication that the next time I start, I want to go ahead and have a greater load for that exercise. I can, once I become proficient in exercising, once I, once I move from being a novice to being slightly better at doing the exercise, I can go about and modify how much resistance I have within the exercise in between sets so that I'm constantly at my seven repetition or whatever repetition count I have for my sets maximum. So I have my set, I have my reps, I have my training load. I've now established my training volume. So volume that we're looking at, this is where we have to look at tracking what we're doing. Volume is how many total repetitions and how much load am I working against? And that's one of the things we want to track so I know that I'm having progressive changes so that I'm getting stronger in the exercises that I'm doing and not reaching a point of overtraining where I start seeing a reduction in my total training volume. We can look at training volume, we can modify training volume based off of how many sets and reps relative to how much training load I happen to have. The lower the repetitions within a set, the higher the training load and the more sets I'm gonna do for keeping my training volume relatively constant. And keeping training volume relatively constant is okay, there are times where we might want to improve our training volume by increasing our training volume if we're trying to uh, change our total amount of endurance taking place within the muscle. But that's a story for another day when we start looking at periodization and changing of set and reps to meet whatever that goal happens to be in terms of a periodization goal. So we have our training volume, we have our set rep and our intensities. The next thing we have to talk about is, okay, how much rest am I going to have in between sets? And this is very important. Rest is important both within the exercise session as well as between exercise sessions. 
I want to have rest in the exercise session so as to delay to delay the onset of fatigue during the exercise. If I'm working at that kind of muscle growth phase, particularly if I'm just starting out, this is where having about a 60 second to about a 90 second rest period is going to be beneficial. It's going to allow me to maximize changes. It's going to allow me to improve the local endurance of the muscle, but also improve that strength capacity for the muscle, the ability for the muscle to do work for long periods of time, as well as to produce higher amounts of strength in the long term through changes both due to mechanical overload, causing additional uh, physical stress to the muscle, as well as those um, uh, hormonal changes that we see in the long term that's going to allow me to cause growth of the tissues through an anabolic response. And so we've organized our, our session. We've organized the way in which we're going to do our training on that day. So if we're going to do a combination training, we're going to go endurance, slight rest, and then resistance train. If it's strictly a resistance training day, you still want to do some endurance training, but instead of doing a long duration endurance training or a high intensity interval endurance training or an interval endurance training, you're going to do a very short duration endurance. And that short duration endurance is simply a means by which you're able to, quote, warm the body up, end quote. But you're also going to do it in such a way so that you're getting the nervous system ready to recruit the muscles in the fashion that you're going to need to recruit them for doing the exercise that you're going to do. So if it's a upper body only day in terms of my training, I may not want to do a five minutes on the treadmill or 10 minutes on the treadmill or 10 minutes on the cycle ergometer. I may want to do something else to start to get the nervous system ready to go in terms of recruiting the muscles of the upper extremity that I don't get by doing either the running or the cycling. Doing things like uh, an arm cycle or doing things like uh, a rowing machine or doing something with uh, an elliptical machine where you have movement of the arms with a handle where you're able to actually propel the body that way is going to be of more benefit to you in terms of the warm-up than simply doing a warm-up in order to cause the, the temperature of the muscles to rise by doing some sort of physical exertion, by doing some sort of, of endurance training exercise. If I'm doing a lower body exercise day, then doing running on the treadmill or walking on the treadmill or using this, the stair stepper or using the, the bike in the gym is a good way to, to warm up. If I'm doing a whole body circuit, it really doesn't matter as long as I'm doing something to get the body going in terms of uh, that short burst duration of endurance training that five minutes, generally moderate to low intensity, just enough to get woken up in terms of the body ready to go for exercise. And so that's the inter, so that's the intra exercise session that we're looking at in terms of maximizing our benefits. Start with big complex, work to simple. If I'm going to do a combination of endurance and resistance within a single session, in order to maximize the long-term hormonal responses, I want to start with endurance and with resistance training. If I can fit it into my day, separate the two out so that my endurance training starts early in the day and my resistance training comes later in the day with a separation in between the two. 
So using myself for an example, I would at, well, it depends on the time of the year, but between five and six in the morning, I would hit the road and do some road work or hit the the gym and do Versa climbers or treadmills or uh, stair steppers in the morning for my endurance uh, session. And because my lifestyle allows for it, at least my current lifestyle allows for it, I would come back later in the day, usually before uh, dinner time, at least right now before dinner time, and do my resistance training. Now, there's other there was other times in in the year in my life where I would do everything in the same same uh, duration, where I would have one gym workout session in a day, and that would start with my endurance training. Then I would do my core, and then I would do my weights. And then I would usually do some sort of cool down at the end of that uh, weight session simply to allow recovery to start. That's for me. It can be different for everybody based off of what their training goals happen to be and what their lifestyle allows for. So that's within the exercise session. But what about in between exercise sessions? What I want to do in order to make sure that I'm recovering properly? This is where we hear people talk about having the anabolic window. And this is where we're talking about inducing muscle growth. But what we're really talking about in that anabolic window is we're talking about the time period to provide nutrients to the body to minimize cortisol responses, to maximize anabolic hormone responses. This is where some people talk about, oh, you have to have your protein immediately after your workout, but it's not about having protein immediately after the workout. What it's about doing is it's about providing some amino acids and some carbohydrates to the body that will cause signals that lead to a reduction in cortisol. I want to reduce cortisol so that I can have appropriate inflammation response, appropriate tissue repair signals immediately after the workout. This is where immediately after the workout, you should be slightly sore if you're attempting to grow muscles. This goes into the concept of overload that we've covered previously. And that soreness is not caused by what everybody talks about in terms of quote-unquote lactate or as most people reference it, lactic acid. That soreness that you're feeling is that immune response. The immune response is coming from the tissue being broken down due to a mechanical overload effect. That mechanical overload effect can come from working at maximal tensile strength for the muscle, or it can come from having a time under tension that is a total amount of contractions taking place that exceeds what the muscle is currently capable of doing. So I've done the exercise. I'm slightly sore. I want to maximize my anabolic responses. So I'm going to minimize my cortisol by providing myself with some sort of carbohydrate, carbohydrate like substance, some amino acids, particularly the branch chain amino acids. I'm going to provide some creatine for my body through eating of animal uh, protein. That is there so as to initiate the anabolic responses. I don't have to have large amounts of protein at that moment in time. That's one of the kind of big misconceptions about diet as relates to the diet and exercise to maximize anabolic and tissue growth responses. I want to make sure that I am increasing my total amount of protein relative to my body mass. That's the grams I need per day relative to my body mass. I want to make sure that when I'm trying to grow muscle, that value is slightly higher than what it would be at normal rest. And so we usually talk about in terms of 
grams per kilogram being between about 0.8 and about 2.2 grams per kilogram being kind of like the, the minimums that you need. There's no evidence to show that anything over about three and a half grams per kilogram is necessary. There's no difference in terms of growth benefit beyond about 2.25 grams per kilogram of body mass. And so if we talk about this in terms of grams per pounds for people who reference stuff by poundage, that is going to be basically kind of divided by two. It's actually about 2.214 to be specific, but we'll just use some rough numbers here and divide everything by two. So that's about 0.4 grams per pound to about 1.1 to 1.2 grams per pound, maximizing at about 1.5 grams per pound of protein. And that's over the day. That's not necessarily at that single moment in time. In terms of the quality of proteins and which types of proteins are best to have within that training session, there is evidence to show through multiple uh, systematic reviews and multiple meta-analytical reviews on uh, protein consumption that if I'm using a protein powder, using a protein blend is better than using what everybody calls the whey protein, is better than using whey by itself. Animal-produced protein powders is better than plant-based protein powders in terms of total anabolic responses. There's a lot of myths and misconceptions about substances that might be found in the plant proteins that might impact uh, digestibility and absorbability of those plant-based protein powders. The problem with all of that speculation is the amounts that you would have to consume in order to have that negative effect go beyond what is capable of consuming at a single moment in time. And so I'm going to want to increase that protein intake, but I'm also going to want to increase my carbohydrate intake. I'm also going to want to increase slightly my lipid intake on the days where I'm doing my combined endurance and resistance training. Now, here's the real kind of kicker that most people don't think about. That additional protein becomes more important on days where I am singularly focused on endurance training versus either resistance training or a combination of endurance and resistance training. And that's because when I'm doing endurance training, the rate at which I am breaking down proteins to meet metabolic needs increases. And that means I have to somehow provide additional amino acids necessary to offset the proteins that are being broken down to meet metabolic needs but there's also a slight increase in that cortisol responsing that we have in the endurance training side that we don't see with the resistance training side that has a little bit to do with what we refer to as counter regulatory responses to metabolism due to changes in circulating levels of glucose blood, blood sugars as some people like to think about and so when i'm doing long duration exercise when I'm doing endurance style training, regardless of whether I'm using a circuit training style with weights or if I'm on the treadmill, if I'm out doing road work in terms of running or biking or rollerblading or any of the other means by which I can do road work, the effect of that endurance, the effect of that endurance training is going to trigger a hormonal swing that I have to counterbalance through increased nutrient intake. And that increased nutrient intake means that I have to have more protein in my diet on days that I am endurance training 
relative to days that I am resistance training. And I know it sounds kind of counterintuitive to, well, I'm resistance training, I want to build muscle. That means I need to have more proteins because muscles are made up of proteins. But in actuality, we need more proteins on days when we're not doing that resistance exercise, but doing endurance exercise. So that's the nutrition aspect of it. And once again, I recommend going and looking at the breakdown of the macro and micronutrients that I've listed out for you in the Substack passages, as well as visible on the YouTube videos about diet in terms of how much carbohydrate per day, how much uh, protein per day, how much lipid per day, as well as all of the micronutrients, the vitamins and the minerals that we need in a day. The other thing I want to take into account following the exercise session is improvement in flexibility. Now, there is some evidence to show that doing flexibility training, doing stretching, can have a secondary impact on growth in the muscles due to a a change in the mechanical forces on the muscle. And so I can train, I can do my resistance, I can do my resistance training, I can do my weightlifting, I can do my endurance training. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to then go and sit around for the rest of the day. Because by doing that, by sitting around for the rest of the day, what I I allow the muscles to do is shorten down. Because that recovery period, what they're going to try to do is they're going to recover to whatever length I'm allowing that muscle to, to be at. And so one of the things I want to do throughout the day is I want to do some sort of flexibility training. I can go ahead and I can do five, 10 minutes of uh, static and dynamic stretching. So static stretching is where you think about like the, uh, I'm going to bend over and try to touch my toes type stretch. And I'm going to hold that position where I start feeling the stretch for a count of 30. That's a static stretch. Whereas a, di- a, dynamics, a dynamic stretch is where I'm going to do some sort of movement of the body or movement of the limb that's going to force me to move to the maximum amount of movement that I can produce at that uh, joint, at that limb within the body. And I'm not going to stop and hold at specific endpoints. I'm going to go to one side and go to the other side. I'm going to swing forward. I'm going to swing back. I'm not going to sit and statically hold a posture, but I'm going to try to continuously move from one extreme to another extreme. The static stretching is the stretching that has been shown through uh, empirical evidence to have some benefit in terms of causing tissue growth, muscle growth in particular. It doesn't give us the contractile muscle, the muscle that causes the, the muscle contraction to increase. But what it does is it increases the proteins that are associated with stabilizing the muscle tissue, which is also important because I need to have those proteins available to take the tension that I'm building within the muscle and transfer it onto the tendons and into the bones to cause force development that will allow me to move. And so we're going to do stretching at some point in time throughout the day. And so I want to do stretching not immediately before I do my exercise. I want to do stretching at some point in time later in the day as a means to help with recovery as well as cause that secondary signaling to allow for additional tissue growth. Now that stretching leads into a secondary line of discussion, which we'll talk about later, which comes into what's referred to in the bodybuilding world and in the exercise world as partial reps and the use 
of the partial rep in order to cause secondary muscle growth in biomechanically limited ranges of motion. And that when we talk about biomechanically limited ranges of motions, we're talking about, once again, physics and lever systems and how the bones are going to be moving during muscle contractions, where we have within distinct areas of the movements, limitations, actual disadvantages within the way in which the body is going to move, particularly when we're trying to move against very heavy loads. But we'll save that for a discussion at a later time. Thanks for uh, staying tuned and listening to the entirety of the discussion. Please make sure that you are giving us that five-star review. Share with all of your friends and family. Share with people who might want to hear a little bit about how to set up the exercise session so that you can get maximum benefit. Please make sure you're following us on all of the uh, various platforms that are published, whether it's here on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, on Substack, as well as our short clips on Instagram and on threads. If you happen to have questions or comments, please make sure you uh, reach out to us. We are more than happy to answer any of the questions that you might have about diet, exercise, your physiology, your anatomy, and how to go about establishing a healthier lifestyle or establishing a means by which to get to the fitness that you want to get to.